Hey everyone, it's Juad here as always. Thank you for tuning in for the Hit the Apex podcast. It's the week after the Australian Grand Prix and this is going to be the review edition of course. Um, four days in fact after the Grand Prix. It's Thursday now. Um, not like I'm <laughs> reminiscing a bit too hard about it. You know, it always hits you straight after straight after that weekend. You know, it's the only race you can get to, I can get to these days. And being the first race of the season too, it is it has a lot of hype around it. And then just almost quickly it, it goes and comes and goes. And then we're into the into the season proper, I guess. You know, now we've got Bahrain coming up in a week. And then, yeah, another um, 19 or 20 races left to, to go on the calendar. So, yeah, we're going to talk about the Australian Grand Prix, all about it today. Um, we've got the race itself, everything that happened around the event as well. Um, Supercars was another popular undercard event on the um, on the Grand Prix weekend too and plenty to take away from that as well. So I'm going to get to that a bit later, but I guess starting off now with, you know, I guess the weekend itself and it's kind of hard not to... Um, mention off the top of the bat uh, the news about Charlie Whiting of course and um, how that everyone how that hit everyone first thing Thursday um, Thursday is the traditional media day I guess for a Grand Prix weekend and you know that back to school feeling I guess everyone has who, who travel and follow um, F1 all over the all over the world so to have the news break in the morning um, that Charlie Whiting had passed away was quite difficult I guess for everyone to fathom and you know the fact that he was here and you know we they were just gonna it's gonna be business as usual um another Grand Prix season we're ready to to tackle and yeah to then be told that this person is not here anymore was you know a bit of a bit of pill to swallow for I'm sure everyone who knew him well and also, you know, the just the entire F1 community, fans and media people alike, and, um, you know, the drivers and team personnel too. So quite sad, of course, and um, it was really, I guess it didn't really hit you until you start hearing um, anecdotes and whatnot from people in and around the sport about their memories of Charlie and I think the most um, most touching one I think was Sebastian Vettel during the driver's press conference was talking about how just the day before on the Wednesday um, they were doing a track walk or part of the track walk together they walked the first two corners and just were were talking as they do normally you know asking about off-season and how what did you get up to and that sort of stuff and then yeah such as the fragility of life that the next day you know this person's no longer there so yeah I'm sure you know it's going to be a hole that is going to be very difficult to to fill uh, in fact probably you know while that position of the race director and the safety delegate and the technical delegate will be filled you know Charlie himself having done all of that himself um yeah it's you know going to be one of those things where it's going to be hard to replace and difficult to to have another charlie riding there so yeah it's going to play on i guess 
everyone's minds for the rest of the season. You know, he's been in the in the sport, you know, for probably what more than three decades or something. And having started off as a mechanic or whatever with with Hesketh Racing, and then following Bernie Eccleston over to Brabham, of course, and yeah, was the mechanic for uh, Nelson Piquet when he won. Um, two of his championships in the early 80s um, so it's been in around success and then of course you know poacher turned gamekeeper of course um, when he was appointed as the FIA race director so yeah you know and he's had that role since 1997 so you know from 1997 to to now every Grand Prix has been run by this man so you know quite a um I guess pillar of the sport you've got to say he is so yeah and what he's achieved for formula one too especially on the safety side of it being i guess what the drivers describe to be uh, a voice for the drivers as well um you know it's quite uh telling that this guy you know well i'm not going to say this guy but this um person this gentleman will definitely be um will definitely be missed by all. So, yeah, it was a bit of a, a solemn note to start the weekend with, of course. But, you know, the day before on the Wednesday, we had the, the season launch at Federation Square, which was quite quite something, I guess, not having had, had not having done something like that before, um, especially here in Melbourne, to get all the drivers into a central location um, with the team principals as well and for... Um, you know, a, a big crowd, 50,000 people, I think, turned up for it. It was quite special. A little bit tacky, if you ask me. Um, didn't really, you know, it was just basic interviews, I guess, expectations and all, but a good opportunity, I guess, for people to see or the fans, the fans, sorry, to, to check out everything and check out all the drivers before they hit the track. And I guess it just sort of creates that festival atmosphere not only at trackside but you know the entire city of melbourne kind of embraces it which is great and you know the exposure that it gets is just it's just phenomenal so yeah i guess it was a, a good way to start off the weekend when it comes to all those proceedings of course but we had the sad news of charlie as well over um overshadowing parts of it So yeah, getting into the um, the race itself or the Grand Prix weekend. So you know, a lot of expectation around Ferrari. Um, they were the quickest in preseason testing and whatnot. Um, were they going to come out and dominate the first race? Well, you know, the opposite happened. Actually, Mercedes were the ones who were quickest in every session, quickest in qualifying, and that's where I guess we saw the gap between Mercedes and Ferrari come out where in preseason testing it was the other way around Mercedes somehow have just come out and wiped the floor with Ferrari and then in the race you know Lewis Hamilton he started on pole his eighth pole at Albert Park which is quite phenomenal I think it's um you know equaled the record for most poles at a venue which is held by both Michael Schumacher and Ayrton Senna so for um, Hamilton to achieve that here in Australia too it is quite remarkable and quite something but in the race it was actually his teammate Valtteri Bottas who made the lightning getaway um, just bolted off the line he was already leading before going into turn one and then 
didn't really look back from there and I guess the drought breaking win for him um coming and I guess you got to say in a way it's uh, a new and improved Valtteri Bottas you know if it if the beard that came out during the winter and into pre-season testing wasn't an indicator that Bottas is going to be a bit hardcore this season well he certainly backed that up with his um, performance on track and he was pretty easy on his tyres too he was able to to run late into the race before taking that uh, one and only pit stop to go onto the hard tyres and then of course Oh, sorry, the medium tyre. And yes, I am still trying to catch up on sleep lost during the Grand Prix weekend. It was so many late nights. Um, yeah, so being easy on the tyres really helped him run deep into the race. Then he was able to make just the one stop. And then after that, straight away, he was plugging in the fastest laps. And he was the first driver to actually then claim that um, extra championship point that's available now for fastest laps. So he came out of the weekend with 26 points. And the first time he's actually led the championship in his career too. So that'll be quite important. But early days yet, Lewis Hamilton, I guess, nowhere during the race. And later we found out that he had a bit of floor damage that he had on his car, which sort of explains why he was um, unable to match the pace of Bottas. I mean, Bottas finished like 20 seconds ahead of Hamilton and then we saw both Hamilton and Seb Vettel pit quite early. Um, I thought anyway, pitted quite early considering Bottas was able to run quite late into the race as did Max Verstappen as well. Um, we'll get to Max in a second. But yeah, early pit stops for Hamilton and Vettel and then Later on in the race, we had that radio message from Vettel to his team asking, you know, why are we so slow? And I guess probably the definitive, you know, apart from Valtteri's, um, you know, to whom it may concern, quote, the why are we so slow line from Vettel is probably one of the most definitive quotes to come out of the weekend because, yeah, Ferrari all of a sudden, all that pace that they had in pre-season, where's it gone? You would have thought that if it was grip related that you know in the warmer conditions here in Melbourne that we had over the weekend it would suit it perfectly given that in the cold of Barcelona during testing it's really hard to get those tyres switched on but it was the opposite and Vettel and both Vettel and Charles Leclerc struggled with their setups and yeah you know the gap that we saw in practice really got amplified during the race and to finish I guess almost a minute behind um a minute behind Bottas, the race winner, was quite telling and Ferrari ended up later in the race having to actually manage the gap between Vettel and Leclerc because um, Leclerc was all over Vettel towards the end of the race and probably wanted that fourth position but they just um, told them to, to hold station and stay put so, you know, I guess where you sort of look at Seb's performance and the car speed and think very negatively of what's happened here pre-season favourites for the championship and this is what we've got you know Leclerc probably was the shining light from that race for Ferrari that he's not gonna he's gonna be in there all the time and hopefully you know come the next race in Bahrain which should be more representative I guess of other tracks and for testing as well that we should see Ferrari back up there so I wouldn't be too concerned at this stage I know a lot of people get a bit um, jittery when it comes to Ferrari and a bit reactive as well given the results but first race of the season yeah it was surprising that Mercedes came and blew them out of the water or blew them off the park quite 
convincingly, I think, yeah, you know, Ferrari will bounce back pretty quickly from that. And, you know, Bahrain's traditionally been pretty good to them too. So we might see um, a little bit of a resurgence there from them. But ahead of them, you know, I guess you could say concerningly, I choose not to. Um, ahead of them, Red Bull. Red Bull quicker than Ferrari over the weekend and the first podium for Honda Power in the hybrid era. So, you know, we knew it was going to come this season at some point. You know, Red Bull and Honda in particular were going to be quick and be on the podium, potentially win races. But yeah, at the first race, you know, right throughout practice, you know, both Honda, uh, Red Bull and Toro Rosso were quite quick. Um, two teams running the Honda Power and then yeah you know Max actually was within 1.6 seconds of Lewis Hamilton at the end of the race and you know had a few opportunities to try and get past and take second but ultimately settled for third but you know it's quite a significant result for Red Bull there because they hadn't actually had a podium in Australia in the hybrid era either you know they've had victories here, I guess, with, they had a victory with Seb Vettel back in 2011, and then Vettel was on the podium a couple of times for Red Bull um, back then, but yeah, not since they switched over to the hybrid power in 2014 that have, uh, that Red Bull have actually finished on the podium here, so good result for them, and you know, you could only see them getting better, there was no sign of reliability problems maybe just a little tiny concern for Pierre Gasly during practice but yeah no Red Bull were really strong over the weekend and and as was Toro Rosso too so you know battling for 10th um, between uh, Kvyat, Danny Kvyat and Pierre Gasly and Kvyat ended up holding Gasly off so you know the sister Toro Rosso car holding the Red Bull off there was quite good and you know this these kind of battles will be great inter-team battles will be great throughout the year because essentially both of the cars are quite similar you've got the same power unit of course but then the rear end of the Toro Rosso has actually been provided by Red Bull this year too so you know it's only really the front of the car which is going to be different between the two teams and you know for Kvyat to be um, competitive off the bat um, on the first weekend is quite encouraging and I guess Credit also to Alexander Albon as well. He didn't have the best of weekends. It was a bit scrappy, had a few incidents, and there was a lot of talk and negative chat about him as well from people that, you know, he's come in and he's already crashing, blah, blah, blah. I think he'll come good. So no stress about Albon. It won't be long before we start seeing him get some uh, uh, result. Uh, <laughs> before we start seeing him get some results too. So competitive weekend for the Red Bull family entirely. Not so great, not such a great weekend though for, for Daniel Ricciardo. So home race, you can understand a lot of pressure on him. New team as well with Renault. And, you know, I guess <laughs> all the hearts were broken right at the start of the race on the first lap where off the start he, he sort of went to the right and tried to make up a position past, I think it was the racing point car, um, Sergio Perez maybe, and he goes onto the grass on the right next to the, um, you know, just along the pit wall and hits a gutter and uh, rips off his front wing, so not right at the start of the race, so probably not the um, best thing to do there for Dan, I kind of described it as being a bit over ambitious the start, you know, I mean, yeah, he's under pressure and everything, but 
yeah, was just not the right thing to do. But I'm sure Dan will bounce back from that. It's not season over in the first race. A lot of criticism and scepticism towards him because of it. But yeah, I'm sure he'll be fine after that. And, you know, credit to Nico Hulkenberg. He was competitive in the other Renault, so they're going to be strong, they're going to be able to score points, and um, Hulkenberg in the end finished seventh to hold off Kimi Raikkonen as well in his first race for Alfa Romeo, I guess the Finn kind of flew under the radar this weekend, but still picked up the points where it counted, um, and perhaps this is what we're going to see from him all season, so what was interesting too is that we thought that Alfa Romeo could be further up, but it was actually Haas who ended up... Um, what do you call it, being the best of the rest as far as the midfield team's concern. Uh, concern. I mean, I guess it was not brought so far up to everyone's attention because of the mixed fortunes again, where we had Roman Grosjean with pit stop troubles again, but Kevin Magnussen was sixth in the end, which was a good result for them, considering last year neither of the cars actually finished, so... Um, yeah, to, for them to score points this weekend was quite good. And quick shout-out to as well, um, Gunter Steiner was a very popular man this weekend, all because of the Netflix series as well. And um, that character, I guess, that has come out of it, of him being a very a sweary character, you know, I'm sure that's not, um, what do you call it, uh, the case in person. You know, he's I'm sure he's a really lovely guy. But, yeah, you know, that... Um, whole Netflix thing really gave him a bit of extra popularity over the weekend so I'm sure throughout the season we'll see that from him um, again and again but yeah Haas best of the rest then we had Renault with um, Hulkenberg and Kimi flying under the radar in his first race for Alpha uh, Lance Stroll actually had a good race too, which I guess was a bit underrated by many. Um, not a lot of people really rate him. We know why. Um, dad, his daddy's bought the team and everything and um, sort of that. But yeah, no, he scored um, four racing point on his debut for that team. Underrated performance considering Checo didn't finish in the top 10 either and was kind of nowhere through the race. So yeah, solid start for, for Stroll there. And, you know, a lot of people have said that Stroll could bother Perez this year. And Perez, as we know, can get a bit hot under the collar at times. His um, little feud with Esteban Ocon for the last two years got to a very intense stage. So, you know, perhaps if Stroll is not going to just roll over, we could see a bit of um, rivalry between those two guys, which I'm sure will be great to see and will probably make Otmar Safnau want to rip his own hair out if he didn't already um, because of Perez and Ocon. So great to see there between um, what is going to lie between there for Racing Point. Um, so outside of the points, I guess, not a lot really happened. Um, Carlos Sainz ended up retiring, first retiree of the season with an engine fire in the McLaren. Um, concerns perhaps about Renault reliability this season. If Honda have got their act together, where Renault going to be? <laughs> So that'll be interesting to see how that pans out. And I guess um, 
you got to give credit to Lando Norris. I mean, even though he didn't have the best of races to score the points, the brilliant qualifying to get into Q3 and qualify eighth, um, and then just the poor start really buggered his race a little bit. But he was he was quite racy with Antonio Giovinazzi. Eventually made it past, and I'm sure Norris, like Stroll, will be another driver who's going to probably ruffle a little a couple of feathers this year especially of their more experienced teammate and science of course you know even though he's not even he's not even that old he's not even 25 yet and you're calling him a seasoned veteran um he is going to be the oldest statesman there in the team more experienced driver let's say so yeah you know, having a few feathers ruffled if Norris can do a good job, and he did over the weekend, despite not finishing in the points. And Williams then, I guess, so far behind, we knew that that was going to happen. Um, but yeah, George Russell easily ahead of Robert Kubica, who had issues throughout the whole weekend, just comfortability, the car not really in the window that they wanted to, a lot of chatter about whether Kubica is actually going to be physically able to last the whole season and you know he was four seconds off in qualifying of course as well so it's going to be interesting to see whether this fairy tale comeback of his is either going to go really well or the complete opposite and I'm sure everyone hopes that it doesn't end up not going well for him but you know if it gets to a stage where it's becoming a bit difficult for him to to sustain that level of performance, then yeah, you know, they might have to, to look at cutting their losses as far as that's concerned. But again, it's only the first week and the first weekend of the season. Bahrain coming up, totally different tracks. So, and I'm sure Williams will try to have some improvements come if they can. So still no news on Paddy Lowe as, and what's happening in that area for Williams as far as the technical department's concerned. So we're just going to have to keep at it and see how things go. So yeah, first weekend done and dusted. Um, Bottas leading the championship for the first time in his career. Um, you know, probably the most impressive thing to take away or the most important thing to take away from the weekend is that you know a lot of people had written off Bottas at the end of last year and you know basically talking about how Esteban Ocon's just going to be lurking in the lurking in the shadows this year and looking at that seat that Bottas has got but the performance he put in then during this race I mean to not only win the race but to win it by 20 seconds and annihilate the entire competition including his teammate Lewis Hamilton, who's the reigning world champion, I think, you know, Bottas is not going to go down without a fight, and perhaps this new Mr. Bottas um, that we've got could be what he needed, the sport needed, and maybe what Mercedes needed as well, as far as creating a headache is concerned, and, you know, similar to, I mean, we all know the story of Nico Rosberg and how he beat Lewis, you know, a lot of people think, yeah, you know, just lucked into it, blah, 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 but, you know, Nico was able to get into Lewis and expose some of his weaknesses, of course, yes, reliability didn't go in Lewis's favour back in that year, 2016, but, you know, Rosberg was super consistent and was able to maximise the days where Lewis couldn't, so, 
yeah, I would say after this performance that Bottas could find himself in a similar situation as 2016 um, and could be potentially um, on road to a championship. Early days yet, but it would be great to see if, for whatever reason, Ferrari can't catch up and um, be a part of it like they were last year. I would love to see just a Mercedes versus Mercedes again, and as long as it goes down to the wire, and one of them could um, one of them could be champion, it would be really good to see. And yeah, good to see Verstappen up there too in the Red Bull. So I'm sure that they're going to cause a few headaches too this season. And not sure about championship contention, but if they could be up there every race and um, bothering for the podium and even for the odd race win like they did last year, I'm sure, yeah, we're going to have a cracking season when it comes to that. So, yeah. Um, moving it on, I guess, now, and let's uh, talk supercars and the Melbourne 400. I guess the biggest talking points to take away from that. Um, we had the 1,000th Australian touring car race, of course, as well. Uh, amazing to think that, you know, it's been a thousand races since they started doing the um, ATCC back in 1960. It was race four this time of the championship in at Albert Park. Uh, Scott McLaughlin wins from pole position, which was, I guess, the story of the whole weekend, basically. Um, not the entire weekend, but most of it. More domination from the Ford Mustang and from McLaughlin. Um, Chas Mostert had a poor start from the first row, but he came back to finish second. Such as the the speed of the Mustang is that you know he can drop back, and we'll talk about Mostert again in a moment. But yeah, you know he dropped back a few places, and then finds his way back into second. And Cameron Waters another podium uh, that was two for the weekend he got, um, and backing up after Adelaide too. So solid result for the Tickford guys and I guess for that particular race which was the second race of the weekend there was five Mustangs in the top six so Jamie Wincup ended up being the best Holden in P4 and um, dual top 10 finishes for the the Walkinshaw mega fuel whatever racing sponsor they've got on this year um, team uh, dual top 10 finishes for those guys and quite important too given that they had their um, bosses on hand this weekend for the first time all three of them together being Ryan Walkinshaw, Zach Brown and Michael Andretti um, Chaz Mostert ended up winning the Larry Perkins trophy which is the I guess if you're the round winner um, he ended up getting one win as well as two podiums and race three qualified 22nd on the grid which was just awful don't know what happened there but ended up coming back to fifth and I guess that was where a few of the eyebrows started going up as far as you know the speed of that Mustang is concerned how easily it can just follow a car pass a car and just put distance between it and we'll talk about Mustang in a moment after we we do this Mostert thing but yeah you know he was able to come from 22nd to 5th and then the next race of course of a part you know race 5 just bizarre circumstances with Cam Waters and Scott McLaughlin on their outlap coming to blows and having a crash meant that the front row of the grid was wiped out the two Brad Jones cars 
start effectively from the front. But yeah, Mostert was able to come from seventh on the grid to win that race. His first win since the Gold Coast last year and first, I guess, win for Tickford with the Mustang too. Um, the race that Mostert had pole position, he ended up uh, just falling back again, but ended up coming back to finish on the podium. Uh, so, you know, maximum points scored there for Mostert. And I guess it sort of vindicates um, his speed and the missed opportunities he had in Adelaide. You know, we, we were all pretty surprised with how there was those missed opportunities in Adelaide and he wasn't able to, to score more than he did. But, you know, to come back and have a ripper weekend in Melbourne and now is back within um, 63 points of Scott McLaughlin at the top of the championship. He's third in the championship, I'm sure. If Tickford can be consistent, then it's going to really um, put Mostert into that title contention too. Because at the moment, it doesn't look like McLaughlin's going to be stopped if, you know, the Mustang is as strong as it is and now I guess we'll talk about the Mustang domination and I guess the unfair advantage as it was what Roland Dane said after Adelaide um good book too by Mark Donahue the um 1972 IndyCar Indy 500 winner for Penske um ironically <laughs> um Four pole positions and four wins for the Mustang at Albert Park and that's now six poles and six wins for the season so you know the Holden team's not really getting anywhere near them at the moment I guess Wincup and Tim Slade broke the um the stranglehold that the Mustang had on the podium in race five and got their Commodores up there but um it's just been one of those things I guess classic motor racing and classic just complaining from certain parties about advantages and whatnot now supercars have said that after the weekend and i'm sure they've already conducted them by now they were going to do center center of gravity tests um f using 10 cars on the grid you know to see if the mustang has any kind of advantage from that um it was found that the exhaust system that the penske cars were running um had they were a bit heavier their exhaust and this goes back to Actually, it was explained that it goes back to what happened last year when it was found that the ZB Commodore, after the first weekend in Adelaide, had an advantage with the um, composite panels that it was running on its uh, bonnet and its roof. And then supercars allowed um, the Nissan teams and the Ford teams with the Falcon FGX last year to re-homologate um, those panels and they were allowed to run the composites themselves. But what this did for Penske and for the Ford guys was that um, by taking weight away from the roof and the bonnet, they had to make compensate for that elsewhere. So they said, right, we'll do, you know, do this little thing with the exhaust and put it on there. So I guess that's where they're still running that system now on their um, uh, Mustang. And that's what's raised the eyebrows. They did remove it but still had that advantage in Melbourne. So, and the whole argument there was that, you know, if you're going to be adding ballast, you know, it's got to be inside the cockpit, you know, inside the car or the cabin or whatever, not, you know, externally. And that's where these um, centre of gravity tests are going to see if, you know, there's any other advantages that the Mustang has that, you know, they don't know about as far as, you know, externally on the bodywork or underneath the car that they're getting some kind of gain for that but at the same time 
I think it all boils back to, and I wrote this earlier in the week, I think it all just boils back to the fact that this chassis, the control chassis that they're using in supercars, is outdated now in a way. Like, it came in in 2013 for Car of the Future, back when we were still using four-door sedan cars. You know, we had the Nissan Altima come in, that Mercedes E63, and then the Volvo S60 the year after, and then, yeah, of course, the Commodore and the um, the Falcon models then. But now that they've shifted over to a, um, a two-door coupe body shape, you know, credit to Ford anyway for the job that they did f- to try and fit that their car, the Mustang, onto that um, control chassis. They had to, of course, modify it in a lot of ways. They raised the roof profile, the big rear wing that it's that's on there too, and then, of course, I guess the back end looks a bit more tight, tightly packaged than your normal road Mustang does, and then the way that the bonnet also sort of droops down as and doesn't stick out as the normal road car Mustang does means that they had to do a lot of work to make sure that it passed homologation and was able to be raced in supercars and you know they did a good job the car is legal in the sense that yeah it fits the control chassis and has it has the same numbers you know as far as output and whatnot than the other cars and they did this you know at a airfield at the end of last year when the Mustang was finally homologated they do the homologation tests with the other cars as well from the other manufacturers and everything um checked out so yeah now doing all these tests again i guess what are they going to do are they going to add ballast to the car be forced to add ballast to the mustang to try and slow it down in a way i mean that's not really yeah i get parity and everything and supercars is normally you know, very, very close when it comes to parity and whatnot, but, you know, that's just motorsport. If a team finds an advantage um, within the regulations, then, you know, we always see this happen where, <laughs> you know, one team will protest and then, you know, they will try and change something to, to bring it back to a level playing field. And, you know, why not we do that with Mercedes in Formula One? I mean, to the last four years, they've dominated five years, they've dominated the championship so you know why don't we try and do something with that they did that with red bull i guess um you know with the banning of the blown diffuser and everything and they were able to um they were able to try and get around that but you know yeah i think the solution probably would be a new control chassis because what it'll do is it'll make it i guess open it up for these new body types that they want to bring in, especially now that Chevrolet GM are interested in perhaps bringing the um, Camaro in, but, you know, trying to fit that onto the control chassis. I mean, I'm not going to say that Ford had to butcher the look of the Mustang to get it to fit to the control chassis, but, you know, the changes that they did make were a bit radical, and I guess it's kind of a bit arbitrary that, arbitrary about the looks of the car it doesn't matter how it looks it's just really fast so you know imagine what they do to the Camaro to try and make it um uh fit the supercar chassis so if they open that up I'm sure you know this sort of problem may not be an issue um may not be as big because they don't have these loopholes or whatever that um at the moment the Holden team's 
seem to think that um, Ford are exploiting. So that's, I guess, my two cents on that. And we have heard that Supercars is investigating a change to the control chassis for 2021 at the earliest. So, you know, until then, I guess we're just going to have to deal with it. I just, I really hope that they don't, um, what do you call it? nerf the Mustang in a sense you know it's kind of the onus is on the other guys to try and engineer themselves forward I'd say um and it's not just the fact that the Mustang is really quick you can also take into consideration the banning of the twin spring system that you know I guess triple eight were the guys that really maximized the use of that on their cars you know how badly is it affected them to the point where you know, at the moment, their customer cars at, are quicker at certain points than they are. So Todd Hazelwood was really good over the weekend and he's taken delivery. Um, Matt Stone Racing this year have one of Hamilton's old, not Hamilton, sorry, Jamie Wincup's old um, Commodores. Mark Winterbottom as well in the Team 18 Irwin Racing car as well. Triple uh, Eight engineered car and then, you know, Techno as well. Um Techno with Jack LeBrock have looked really good at times too. So yeah, I guess it's a big it's a big thing that whole twin spring thing happening at the same time as this really cool Mustang has come in. So you know it's going to give Triple Eight a lot to to ponder. But yeah, it's just a classic case of motorsport where they're going to the to the gamekeepers and um, trying to get them to bring back the other other guys that are ahead onto the same level um, level field and whatnot. And, you know, the banning of the Twin Springs, I guess it, it hurt Triple Eight, but it's helped a lot of other people. You know, you see, um, you see Brad Jones Racing, for example. They were really strong at Albert Park and their cars look a lot better at the moment without the Twin Springs there. And same with Tickford. Tickford have uh, had the exact same thing happen. And, you know, we sort of gave him grief for not really executing well enough in Adelaide but at the Grand Prix um, two of their cars found the podium um, Mostert won a race two had a pole position Will Davison wasn't too far off and um, Lee Holdsworth I guess just had some bad luck with uh, some on-track grievances with uh, Richie Stanaway and whatnot and that was quite big as well in itself with um Holdsworth calling Stanaway an imbecile and of course Stanaway getting the fine ten thousand dollars which has now been paid for by the Boost Mobile sponsor that sponsors the the GRM team and of course being suspended from that results race uh disqualified sorry from that uh race that they had that clash and then um of course starting from the pit lane in the following race so Stanaway copped it quite hard, you could say, and I guess a precedent probably race control were trying to send, but, you know, yeah, going back to Tickford, it was pretty um, pretty good weekend for them all up, and yeah, you know, if they can, as I said when talking about Mostert, that they can perhaps be in championship contention, you know, it's going to be quite good for the team and for the driver as well, so... Yeah, uh, will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see where this all goes. This um, whole center of gravity test and whether anything is done to the Mustang to 
bring its performance... I don't want to say bring its performance in line to the rest of the competition, but, you know, are they going to make do something to, to sort of nerf it a little bit? It'll be disappointing for sure. And, you know, it's no secret. I mean, I'm a fan of the Blue Oval and everything, but I like competitive racing um, at the same time. But you get the feeling always that whenever Holden are out in front and are dominating, not much is really said, not much is protested because they have such a big influence in the sport you know the majority of the grid are run are running commodores and um when it comes to the ford guys i mean when fgx as well debuted in 2015 and they were quite strong um it was the then pro drive fpr team or whatever um you know there was a lot being said back then too about you know trying to bring them back in line but then the following year um, they were nowhere, and the um, Holden teams, Triple Eight, they were quite strong. So, you know, just whatever comes around goes around. So I'm sure they'll be able to peg back the performance, but just as long as it's not artificially done in a way to take away from the effort that Ford and Ford Performance over in the US have put in along with Tickford and DJR Team Penske because it's just, um, yeah, it would just, uh, I don't know what to describe it as, but it would just, yeah, it wouldn't be that great. So anyway, um, whatever, if you guys have anything to say about that, feel free to to send in your feedback and whatnot. It'd be great. Um, got a bit of feedback on my Talking Points article that I wrote for... Uh, the weekend for the supercars and got a little piece coming for f1 too so yeah as always jump on board um hit the apexes on facebook and twitter and whatnot so you can do that and of course um can follow all our exploits through there so i guess that sort of leaves it for for this week um exciting getting back into motorsport footy's back as well had the rugby last week go the cowboys um we're gonna do it again this week against the broncos and afl kicks off tonight too so it's gonna be exciting hopefully this entire year so thanks anyway for tuning in and as always enjoy yourselves stay safe don't do anything stupid um and we'll catch you next week for the bahrain grand prix ciao